0: Our scripture passage is in Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Conduct yourselves wisely toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. This is the word of the Lord. Let's
1: pray together. Father, thank you for this day. It is a privilege for us to be gathered together, and we need it. Because our lives tend to lose focus, our hearts run after the wrong things, and today we need to be reminded of that which is truly life. Thank you for this text and its vision of an external mission. And I pray that you would give us as a church a vision of why you've brought us together for this particular season in this city and what it is that you're calling us to do. So, Lord, come now, please help this message to be clear. Let Colossians 4 just ring in our hearts and propel us to be a people who are on mission. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hold your place in Colossians 4 because we'll get there in a moment. That's our text that we're going to be looking at. But before we get into that today... Um, I want to try and merge two things, both Colossians 4 and some things as it relates to where we're headed as a church ministry. The month of November is a very important time of year for us as a church. On the 23rd of this month, we will host our annual congregational meeting where our members will vote to affirm our elders, our deacons, the 2015 budget, and our first official step towards a new campus in the Fishers area. Over the last number of months, our staff have worked really hard to communicate well. Uh, We feel like one of the ways that we love you as a congregation is to give you the information that you need so that you can be informed as to what's happening um, in our church. As you leave today, there are two pieces of literature that I'd love for you to grab and um take home with you and read over the first is a congregational meeting packet It has everything you need to know for that congregational meeting on the 23rd uh, the second piece is uh, an explanation of our major new initiative in 2015 called college park next door our church governance model is this we are led by elders but yet we are congregationally governed which means that our elders have the privilege of leading and they lead well but at the same time, there are uh, there's a check and balance, if you will, of congregational approval. Um, and in order for that governance model to work, our elders need to lead, but the congregation also needs to vote and needs to be present even at the congregational meeting. So I'd like for you to take that day on your calendar, November 23rd, and if you're a member, we have every expectation in the world that you're going to be here. Uh, that's what it means to be a member. If you're not a member, we'd still love you to have, to have you come, and you wouldn't be able to vote, but you'd still be able to hear what's uh, happening in the, the church that you attend. And uh, my hope would be, as a result of that congregational meeting, you might be even more encouraged to um, put your name on the dotted line, so to speak, with this assembly, this, this congregation. When you pick up the Congregational Meeting Packet and when you see this uh, other piece of material, one of the major initiatives that we are asking for you to approve is the start of a campus incubator. Sometime in the February, uh, March time frame of next year, a group of people who would begin meeting here on site with an idea of getting to know one another, getting connected, and that they would be part of that core nucleus group that would do the official launch of our Fishers campus sometime in August of 2015. For over a year now, we've been studying, researching, praying, having dialogue with other churches, and we're now ready to share with you the vision for multiplication, what it looks like to reach our city, and we want to invite you to pray with us. God, would you open a door for the word next door? And so that's where we are, and What I want to help you do, though, is understand a little bit as to even how we got here, because some of you have never known College Park Church except for inside this sanctuary, but there was a day when this wasn't here. In fact, what was here was gravel, and gravel was godly, but it wasn't good. There was the Stairway of Doom, those of you who remember the children's ministry space where you went up taking your kids, saying, pardon me, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, pardon me, excuse me, all the way up and down. There were, we asked you to come early, to sit close, to park far. And there's quite a story of what God has done here. Uh, the, the Mission Expansion Project, which was this uh, sanctuary plus the renovation of, of the old facility, the doubling of the square footage of the entire uh, 96th and Town Campus, was a $20 million project that came in on time and... On budget, we ended that project. If you remember, with 4.9 million dollars in debt, and we immediately set our sights to pay down that debt as fa- fast as possible. The reason was is that we wanted to be able to take that money that was set aside for mortgage, about 500 thousand dollars a year, and to be able to direct that towards external ministries. We wanted to prepare ourselves for the future of what God would have for us. Um, thanks to your generosity in giving. If you've given to the general budget, you've helped to pay down our debt. A number of you continue to give even after the mission expansion project. A number of families stepped up to try and get that debt as low as possible. And I'm just so thrilled to report to you today that in two and a half years, we've paid down over four million dollars of that debt. And now we only have nine hundred and forty eight thousand dollars to go, of which about four hundred thousand dollars is already committed by people in this church. And we're hoping that by the end of 2015, or maybe by the end of 2015, and in 2014, this could be at a big fat zero. That's what we're praying for. So, isn't that wonderful? Praise the Lord for that. Yes. <laughs> Soon after we moved into this facility, our elders began an important discussion about how do we as a church remain on mission. We did so because there's something that can happen to a large church, especially when you've got nice facilities and everything is well done, the programming is going well, the staff um, are doing their jobs. But what, what can happen in that environment is the focus can start to shift. A church can begin, instead of feeling like a battleship, the church can begin to act and feel like a cruise ship. Both are ships, but they couldn't be any more different in terms of the optics through which you see them. A cruise ship is all about your pleasure, it's all about um, recreation, it's about your needs, you're the focus. A battleship, it's not about you, it's about a mission. And while there are wonderful benefits of being a large church, and I'm not anti-being a large church, you also you need to know, though, that being a large church has some significant challenges with it and some dangers connected with it. And so we began setting our sights as a, as, an, as an eldership, saying, what can we do to be sure that we maintain our course of being a church on mission? I wrote a little paragraph, I shared it with our elders, and then in January 2013, I shared it with you. Here's what we said. We will fight against the natural gravitational pull of a large church, which despite all of its blessings can often lead to underdeveloped life-on-life discipleship and stagnating spiritual maturity. Therefore, we will invite our people to a refocused vision toward presenting everyone mature in Christ at every level of the ministry such that spiritual depth, personal transformation, and multiplication are visible aspects of our future culture. In other words, what that's saying is this, is that with a large church, what can happen is someone can just come in, and maybe this is you, and they just can come in and listen, hide, and slip out, and who's going to really know? Or if someone begins to tank spiritually, how do we know when they begin to really struggle? Or for that matter, you can begin to feel that because you're you're involved in the programs of this ministry, because you're in a Bible study in a small group, or you come to Sunday morning worship, that you're really growing spiritually, but maybe not. And so the question is, what do we do about that? As an eldership, we established three priorities, which were discipleships. We've had a group of our pastors and elders for a meeting to figure out what can we do that, so that between ABFs or Sunday schools and small groups and soul care and um, Christian education and College Park Institute, how can all those things be leveraged together for the cause of, of incremental discipleship? In other words, we're going to stand before Christ and have to give an account for how we stewarded your spiritual development. And the question is, how are we going to do that? And we can't just assume because there's a lot of people or because there's a lot of energy that spiritual growth is really happening. It might be happening, but how do we do the very best that we can to be stewards of what God has entrusted to us. We also pushed evangelism. We did some things over the summer, the last two summers, to help you think about what it means to reach out to your neighbors. And then we also began this discussion about multiplication. We started researching the the needs within our city, the the needs even within our own church. We did a survey, and we were stunned and a bit alarmed that in your response to our eldership, 60% of us acknowledged that we don't know our neighbors well enough to be able to have gospel conversations with them. 60% of us. That was alarming. That, look, we got to figure out what to, to do about this issue. And as well, when we looked at the city of Indianapolis, we discovered that 60% of our city is unchurched. And that's even using the word church very generously. There's over a million people within our city who this morning woke up they grabbed a cup of coffee, they sat on their couch, and they're just excited that they get to watch Meet the Press or Good Morning America or whatever, not realizing that they're not really living. And they're missing the most beautiful reality in all of the world, which is a relationship with Jesus. Your neighbors, my neighbors. And, and the question is so, what are we going to do about that? I began talking to area churches. Trying to figure out what is, what is our role in this city? We discovered that Indianapolis is at the bottom of major metropolitan areas with the number of church plants in it. Church planting in the west coast and northwest and Seattle, New York City, Chicago. Those were all the, the cities that got the attention in terms of church planting, but Indianapolis sort of got passed over. As well, we began to learn just about the needs within our community in terms of gospel witness. And we started talking about this idea of College Park Next. And College Park Next has always had two particular focal points. The first is to be able to mobilize our people, to be able to figure out what does it mean to help our people get serious about this mission of reaching their neighbors. And secondly, what does it look to multiply our church to be able to effectively reach our community? We began to plot where each of us live on this, in the city, and we determined that there's a direct connection between living 20 minutes or more outside of the city or outside of um, this campus and a person's level of engagement small group attendance goes down the further people live away their engagement their children and youth ministry children's ministry just the reality is their engagement in the ministry drops significantly when you live that far away as well are you really going to invite a neighbor to come to worship with you when they ask you so where's your church oh it's like 40 minutes away they're just they're just not going to come and so we developed a strategy called college park next to take college park to where our people live and we identified three different areas. Those are the purple circles. The Fishers area, the Avon Brownsburg area, and the Greenwood area, and began talking about what would it look like to take a church campus from College Park Church here at 96th in town and put it in closer proximity to where our people live. We determined that the best place to do our first campus is in the Fishers community. This model is that with live worship, programming same eldership same vision as college park church starting at least at the beginning with video teaching and then transitioning to live teaching like in a a year and a half or less or so that we could bring college park church into these communities and encourage those of you who live close to that campus to think you know what there's a new thing happening in my area of the city it's time to reach our neighbors in a way that maybe we weren't able to do before from the very beginning, we weren't real excited about the name College Park Next because it felt like it was so much about us. Like, what are we going to do next? And so today I'm unveiling to you the new name of what it is that we're asking the Lord to do in and through us, and also the philosophy of what it means for us to think about our neighbors next door. To be able to realize that this mission of igniting a passion to follow Jesus shouldn't be done just at 96th in town or with people who come here, but it should be done in other regions of our city for the purpose of reaching them for the cause of the gospel. Our team put together a video. I want you to watch this. This is The Heart.
0: At College Park Church, our mission is simple. We are a church that exists to ignite a passion to follow Jesus. Over our 30-year history, God has been faithful to grow His church and use us to take the gospel from our campus in northern Indianapolis to the underserved in our city and the unreached in the world. But what do we do about the 1 million people in the Indianapolis area who have no affiliation to a church? What about our neighbors next door? How can we become a church full of people on mission, a mission to go next door? As we have prayed for what is next for our church, we feel led to take College Park next door. We pray the prayer of Colossians 4.3, that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ. As we follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, we believe that a strategy of launching new campuses full of missional people reaching their next-door neighbors across the city is part of God's design to reach Indianapolis and the world. We believe that starting campuses in the city will help the people in our body invite their neighbors, connect in more meaningful ways, and motivate all of us to live out our external mission. These local campuses with the same mission, core values, theology, and leadership of College Park will allow us to continue to grow wide as well as deep and take the gospel throughout our city. And as we look to the future, our long-term vision is for a family of new and healthy churches to be birthed through this next-door focus to reach our city for Christ. How do you fit in? The north, east, south, west, and downtown regions around the circle of Indianapolis are all unique parts of our city with unique people, cultures, and opportunities. As we start College Park Next Door, we hope you consider engaging at a campus near you, inviting your next-door neighbors, and getting involved in our mission. Join us as we pray and ask that God would open your next door for the gospel, grow healthy churches around the city, and multiply passionate followers of Jesus on and to the nations.
1: Our aim in this initiative has always been twofold. It's been to multiply ourselves to be able to reach our city, But as we begin to talk about how to be able to reach Fishers, for instance, with this new campus, and then Greenwood or Brownsburg and Avon, what will happen as well is the culture in our church will also begin to sound something like this. Well, if they're doing that in Fishers, shouldn't I be doing that right in my own neighborhood? And the answer is absolutely yes. Our aim is not just to reach the city. Our aim is actually to be sure that as a church we stay on mission in terms of what it means to ignite a passion to follow Jesus. Now, in Colossians 4... Paul demonstrates for us very clearly a heart that's externally minded. So take your Bible, let's look at this and see what we can learn about Paul's external mindset and then how that relates to all of us. Because at the end of the day, this is not just about a new campus. This is actually about a refocused frame of mind as it relates to where we live and why God has placed us there book of colossians is all about the centrality of christ those of you who were here in 2008 will remember this was the first book that we ever walked through together and the tagline if you will of that sermon series was that jesus is the core you don't make him the core he is the core you just have to deal with the fact that he's the core all throughout this book the centrality of christ is lifted up and then paul applies it beginning in chapter three and verse one with this statement if you have been raised with christ seek the things that are above and so what paul does is connect the lordship of christ to where people really live what does it mean to live under the banner of the lordship of jesus and in chapter 4 paul's wrapping up his explanation of how that lordship of christ connects to where people really live it's a text that's all about an external mindset The first thing that we see in the text is Paul's instruction about how they are to pray. He gives them some characteristics about the priority of prayer. And the reason he talks about prayer at first is because prayer is so central to the mission of the church and central for an external focus. In other words, people who pray begin to get an external focus, and people who have an external focus, they have to pray because the things that God is asking them to do are absolutely impossible without his help. So what does Paul say? Look at verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. So the first thing is this, that Paul calls upon them to be consistent in their praying. They are to continue steadfastly in prayer. Other translations that you may have may render this as devote yourselves to prayer. What the ESV does is take one Greek word and uses two English words to describe that word. And that word means that you should persist in something, even persisting in it so that it seems almost obstinate or almost annoyingly consistent. So here's my question. Does that, is that how anybody thinks about your prayer life? Has anybody said to you, seriously, we have to pray about this too? My guess is for most of us, that's never been said. The idea of consistency is that there's this perpetual sense that prayer is so important, that it is our breath, that we have to live by it. It is so essential to who and what we are because we are aware that it's our lifeline, that that we can't do anything apart from God's help. But too often, you know what happens. I feel it. I know you do. Too often what takes place either in individuals or in entire churches, we begin to treat prayer as if it is optional. You know what I mean? It's something nice to have, but I mean, is it really essential? And here's the other problem. The better you get at doing life, the better you are at raising kids, the better you are at your job, the better you are at church. Guess what happens? Your, your prayer life can tend to tank because you think, ah, oh, we got this. I got this sermon. I got this service. I got this family. I got my job. I got, I got it. And when does your prayer life soar? Your prayer life soars when the bottom falls out. See, the challenge is... That prayer is our connection to the very blessing and help of God. One of the reasons why we have a monthly Fresh Encounter prayer time, one of the reasons that we have elder prayer in our services, one of the reasons you pray together in this service today is because of what happens when we fail to pray. And one of the things that's going to happen as we talk about moving into the Fishers area, as we send, I hope, a couple hundred of you to go help start that new campus, there's going to be things related to that new campus that we're not going to be able to figure out. It's not going to be going to this and this and this and this. We're planning, but there's a lot of gaps. And what's going to happen, I promise you, is that stress and that challenge is going to force us to pray. Going to have us say, Lord, we don't know what to do. Our eyes are on you. Would you please help us? And you know what? That's really good for our spiritual growth to have that kind of dependency. So, the first thing Paul says is continue steadfastly. Here's the second thing he says there to be watchful in it. This word means something different than what you might think. It means mental alertness, it means to be awake, it means to be alive. But the question is okay, alive to what? Alive to what? Here's how one commentary explained it. The Colossians' prayers were to be in tune with the times. This meant that they were to know the circumstances of life, particularly those that affected the spread of the gospel. Informed prayer is likely to be more purposeful, personal, and powerful. In other words, what Paul is saying here is this. We need to wake up to the needs that are around us. As it relates to our praying and what we're burdened about, Paul wants us to not sleep through life. And you know what that sleeping looks like? That sleeping looks like you just go through your life like everybody else in America goes through their life. That's what it looks like. It looks like you, you're turning on the TV, you're seeing where we're at culturally, and instead of praying, you just get mad. And you just mourn instead of awakening to the needs that are around you instead of looking at your neighbors as opportunities for witness you can't believe they don't edge their lawn right (laughs) you can't believe how many dandelions you have in your yard because he doesn't kill his weeds in his own you can't believe that their dog barks and not even on your radar is maybe that dog lives in a lost home Because righteous people have dogs that don 't bark that 's what i 'm saying <laughs> The meaning is more than just don 't sleep when you're praying. you 're praying ever you ever fallen asleep when you prayed? Liars you know you have <laughs> thank you all right got somebody who 's honest i i 've fallen asleep leading a prayer meeting <laughs> seriously. I used to have this prayer meeting at my last church at six thirty on Saturday morning, and one day we were visiting uh, my in-laws they're an hour away and I, I couldn't find someone to lead the prayer meeting so i got up and drove all the way over to the prayer meeting i was so tired and it was just me and this other brother just the two of us we were kneeling in, in the sanctuary and we, we he was praying first he prayed really well and really long and and um next thing i know I, i'm drifting off to sleep and there is this long silence he apparently said amen and i had no idea and there's this long silence you know what that's like and all of a sudden you're like you know you like right? and so i was like you know just kind of jumped in right the, the the idea is not staying awake in prayer the idea is open your eyes listen to me to open your eyes what's going on in your office what's going on in your school What's going on in your neighborhood? What's going on in your little section of the city? What's going around, uh, going on in people around you? And do you do anything in terms of praying about what's going around you? Or are you just complaining, depressed, sad, and disheartened? Paul says, wake up! You're in the world. You have the hope of the gospel. And so the way in which you pray should be watchful. Here's the third thing. Not only watchful, but also grateful. Being watchful in it with thanksgiving. The concept of gratitude, it's all throughout the book of Colossians. It it is central. Gratitude is central to what it means to live as a Christian in the world. Here's how Paul summarized it. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of Jesus. Giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Christians are supposed to be grateful people because they have been graced by God in that they have been forgiven of their sins through the death of Jesus, and they can rest assured that everything in life then is a part of God's plan for their life. So there's nothing that happens to them that demonstrates that God is mean. He's always kind, even though it doesn't always make sense. And so Christians can live in this beautiful reality of gratefulness, and we're supposed to, because of the fact that we've been graced with mercy. If we're honest, a self-focused, bitter, ungrateful Christian is an oxymoron. If you're grumpy, and people around you think you're not very happy, and you're just always short with people, please don't put a bumper sticker that says College Park Church on your car. I'm serious i don't want you being the poster child of the gospel you got to get your heart right and you got to get your attitude right and you got to remember this is not about you because an ungrateful christian this doesn't even make sense so paul says we're to pray with watchful eyes with gratitude because of all what god has given to us and you know what here's another thing grateful people are more inclined to talk about the gospel when you're filled with joy of what God has done to you and through you, when your heart is filled with gratitude, conversations tend to become opportunities to share your joy. Don't believe me? Just think of the last things that you got excited about and how many people you told. Some of you, you found gas for 2.87 this week. You told like 10 people.
0: Right?
1: You found a Groupon to save you half off of a movie ticket. You told all your family. You found a crazy cat video on Facebook, and all your grandkids know about it. When you're so passionate about whole grains, you could tell anybody when Chili's got all the grains and it's really healthy for you. Everyone knows you're the whole grain standard bearer. Part of our challenge with talking about the gospel is that we're just not that excited about it part of the reason that you look at your neighborhood the way that you do, you look at the job the way that you do, is because you don't see it through the lens of the gospel, because joy doesn't factor in. Gratitude is so unusual in our culture, and yet it is so central to the gospel. So one of my hopes today is to help you to maybe just kind of raise your joy level up, because what you're excited about, you're going to talk about. One of the effective ways that I have found to be able to share Christ is to hum. I'm not joking. Like I'll think of a hymn and I'll just sing it, like not out loud but hum it, you know? And I get into an elevator, it's somewhat awkward every once in a while, but it works and <clears throat> I start just humming the song and someone will say something like, "Well, you're happy today." Bingo. You know? <laughs> It's unusual to have somebody who is happy. In your workplace, are you known as the person who's grateful? In your school, are you known as that kind of person? In your neighborhood, are you known as the happy neighbor? Consistent, watchful, grateful prayer is where we start. But there's more. Paul tells us what we're supposed to pray about. So how to pray, now what to pray. Look at verse 3. At the same time, pray also for us. That God may open to us a door for the Word to declare the mystery of Christ. Don't miss this, on account of which I am in prison. So, what does Paul ask them to pray for? The first thing he asks them to pray for is for open doors. What's amazing here, church, is that Paul saw his life through this lens of open doors. When he goes back to Antioch, he tells them that God had opened a door for the faith, for faith in the Gentiles, in Acts chapter 14. When he wrote to the church at Corinth, he said that a wide and effectual door, a wide door for an effective work of the ministry, has been opened to me in 1 Corinthians 16:9. As well, when he walks into Athens and he sees all of these idols in the city, he doesn't just walk around going, that's interesting, that's awful. These pagans, Paul opens his mouth and he starts a discussion with the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers about the the idol to the unknown God. When he nearly causes a riot in Jerusalem, he waves his hand and asks if he can have a moment to talk to the crowd and he shares with them his story when he's arrested and he's brought before political leaders, he shares his, the story of his conversion, and he almost converts a high-ranking official. When he's shipwrecked and he's on a beach, he begins to share the story of what God has done in his life. You see, what Paul did is the thing that was woven throughout of his life, no matter where you place him or what you do to him or where you put him, he's always going to talk about the gospel. You know why? Because that's why he was on the earth. It was for the gospel. Paul must have been really annoying at times to deal with. I mean you, you couldn't touch him. I've said this before. You beat him, you threaten Paul, oh, we're going to beat you. Go ahead. It, you know, I'll fill up what 's lacking in Christ's afflictions. All right? we're going to kill you. Absent with the body is present with the Lord. We're going to put you in prison. Cool, I'll convert all your jailers. I mean, it's just really annoying, right? No matter, why. why is he like that? Because he sees life through the gospel. Some of you are in the middle of suffering. You've got some huge pain going in your life. And you have an unbelievable opportunity to demonstrate how to suffer in and through the gospel. And to let your cancer or your wayward child or your job loss or whatever be an open door for the gospel. If someone says, how in the world can you be so joyful in the midst of what's going on? And you, the answer is is the gospel Philippians one 12 to 12-18 this is what Paul said notice his attitude I want you to know brothers that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ and most of the brothers having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment are much more bold to speak the word without fear some indeed preach Christ from envy or rivalry but others from goodwill The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. I love this. What then? Who cares? It's not about me. Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. You see how focused he is? But Paul doesn't care if he's in prison or out of prison. People preach Christ because they want to help him or they want to hurt him. He doesn't care because his love for the gospel is so significant. Listen, what I want to just press in today is to ask you, is that how you see life? One of the reasons that we're pursuing this next-door mission is because it's so easy to fall into the trap of thinking that the doors that God opens in front of us are either about us or just enjoying the fact that there's so many doors. There's so many opportunities for you to be involved in so many good things in our culture. And while those things, there's nothing wrong with them in and of themselves, is they can become a bit like a like a merry-go-round. You just get on the ride and it's just like... Deep, 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 and you begin to forget that this isn't going anywhere. It's too easy to let prosperity and achievement and success begin to dominate our lives. You just look at your neighbors, other people you know, everyone else is doing all of these things. We ought to be doing all of these things, and never realizing, no, 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 that's not why we're here. Let me give you an example. So, Savannah played her first um, organized uh, on a her first organized soccer team this last fall, and uh, her team won. I mean, they, they, they. Went to the semifinals and ended the penalty kicks. And then finals went to penalty kicks. So she got this little gold trophy. And I, I love Saturdays going to soccer games and getting my... Um folding lawn chairs and trying to get all my stuff, my coffee mixed up right, and, you know, Starbucks coffee, baseball hat, tennis shoes on. Uh, got all my stuff and line up all, all, all the chairs up so my wife and my kids and my mother-in-law can all have a spot. And you can begin to forget that life is not really about just going to soccer games. In fact, the soccer game isn't about the soccer game. I'm sitting in the middle of people in the community whose names I've got to know. These are my neighbors And what really lasts, a little gold trophy, about a U10 championship? She doesn't know this yet, but she's not going to care about that when she's 18. At least she shouldn't, right? (laughs) Or something's wrong. She's not going to put it on her shelf when she's 30. Or tell her kids about it when she's 80. She's not going to remember any of that, right? What really matters in life is not the soccer game, but it's the why we're here in the world, and the problem is especially in the kind of culture in which we live especially in the area of the city in which we live that we can be so consumed with all really good and wonderful things that our lives are so busy and so active that we forget that we do not exist for soccer games and chess club and personal trainers when our kids are seven and horseback riding and private tutors etc 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 cetera. that really the goal is not just to raise kids so that they can get a good job so they can make some money so they can have kids so they can go to a good School, so they can get a good job, so they can have kids, and we round and round and round. And when does that merry go round finally stop and we realize this is not why we are on the earth? Your home is wonderful, place to live. But you are not in your neighborhood just to rest. You're there to be salt and light. So easy, though, isn't it? Do you feel the pull? I feel the pull. I gotta work hard. This is not about soccer. This is not about soccer. This is about connecting with these people. It's about talking with them, getting to know them. It's about soccer, but it's not all about soccer. Secondly, not only open doors, but also clear words. Paul wants us to not only have an open door, he wants us to open our mouths. That I make, he said, to declare the mystery of Christ. Verse four, that I may make it clear which is how i ought to speak so paul is praying for for clarity you know what's fascinating about paul is he never adjusts the message now he may adjust the way in which he makes it clear but he never adjusts the message so when we go to fishers it's going to be the the, the same values same theology same leadership of college park church but when they go to fishers they got to figure out how to speak fishers language it doesn't mean it's going to be a seeker sensitive campus any more than this This is seeker sensitive by that i mean that you tailor your sunday morning service just as the target to be able to reach lost people Our, our target on sunday mornings is to help believers in jesus to worship while being mindful of the fact that there are a number of people in this room every sunday who don't know the name of jesus in other words, our aim is to make them as comfortable as possible as they come into this room so that when they're in the presence of God, if they're unconverted, they're as uncomfortable as possible. See, <laughs> so the challenge is this, is that we have to figure out how do we make the gospel clear to different people? How do we build relationships with people and really care for them? How do we... How do we open our mouth how do we engage in them in conversations so do you have a favorite way to enter into the gospel conversations i do here's my here's my thing is i just ask somebody so what do you do for a living and say well i'm i'm an accountant and then i just wait come on and then they're like oh yeah so what do you do for a living i'm like yeah i'm a pastor And then I watch the whole conversation just change in an instant right there, right? And then it's the opportunity right there to be able to talk about the beauty of the gospel. So what's, what's your thing that you use? You see, praying for open doors and for clear words could be one of the most risky and yet rewarding things that you would ever do. I'll guarantee you that if you take this mission seriously, your prayer life will begin to increase like you can't imagine because now you've got to figure out what to say. You, you, you'll read the Bible differently because suddenly your, your life is lived with a different sense of mission and purpose. Finally, how do we live? Look at verse 5. Consider or conduct rather yourselves wisely towards outsiders. Making the best use of the time, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So what does Paul say here about how to live? He says, first we are to live wisely. Walking in wisdom toward outsiders. It's interesting, isn't it, that he uses that word? Conduct yourself wisely toward outsiders. It's a really good reminder that the reason that we're gathered here today is not just because it's all about us, or, or just because it's all about the glory of Christ, that we're gathering here for the purpose of being deployed because there are outsiders. There are people who are not here who need to be here because they are unconverted. They don't know the Lord Jesus as their Savior. And the challenge is is it's too easy to forget that that's part of our mission. And the, the problem is, is that we, we take things that were intended originally for non-believers, and over time it drifts towards becoming about believers. You know, like, for instance, Sunday evening services were originally started when electricity came online and um the idea was hey let's get together people who don't mean to do at night turn the lights on the church and have lost people come and we'll preach the gospel to them and then over time sunday night services became all about believers sunday school originally was supposed to be a mission to reach unchurched kids and over time it becomes an educational thing everything begins to tip that direction and we lose our emphasis on reaching outsiders as we begin to take things that used to be targeted that way and we end up making it about ourselves we're to live wisely secondly we're to live strategically he says making the best use of our time ephesians five fifteen says the same thing we're to walk in wisdom make the best use of the time because the days are evil in other words, what Paul is saying here is this. The clock is ticking, and we ought not to waste our careers. We ought not waste where we live. We ought not waste the connections that are made because kids come to your house to play. We ought not waste the neighborhood block party, the dance class, or anything else that we're engaged in. We are to live strategic lives, that life doesn't exist for all of these other things. It feels to me that is like a merry-go-round. It feels like a roundabout that you can't get off. When I was in England, oh, thank God for roundabouts in England. The, the signs in England were so understated, and sometimes they were actually on the pavement, so you couldn't see them unless you looked between cars as they are coming by. And we, we had programmed in a, like a Google, Google Maps program where our directions, where we get on a roundabout, and it would say, at the third exit, turn left. And so we're going around. Is that the third exit? So round and round and round we went four times. What was our record? Was time roundabout, a roundabout, a roundabout? A roundabout exists to get you somewhere. Your career is not meant for you to go round and round and round. Your career was meant to be the vocation by which you express the glory of Christ in that workplace. Your neighborhood is not a roundabout just for your own safety and protection and for your pleasure and for your comfort. Although it's all of those things are part of it, your home is to be a place that's a witness for the gospel. And yet somehow, somehow we get duped into thinking that this is not about the gospel. Third, let your speech always be gracious. Oh, that's hard, isn't it? Always gracious? Always gracious. The idea is that we live in a very calloused and negative world, and the gospel, it affects how we live, and if it does, people will notice. Is there something charmingly different about you because of the gospel? Our, our world doesn't need any more grumpy, negative, unkind people, especially if they carry a Bible. It doesn't. You know what the world needs? A world needs gracious people that are so unusual and unique in the world that people would say, well, what in the world is different about you? Everybody else in this neighborhood, they talk about that guy, but you like, do stuff that's like nice for him. Why? You, you sit by the kid in school that no one else likes. Why, why do you, why do you do that? So, does anybody ask you why? Or are you just one of the masses of people who are just marching to the beat of the American dream? When the reality is that's not why we're here. And finally, personally, Paul says, so that you may know how to answer, how you ought to answer each person, notice how it gets so personal. What Paul is saying here is that the gospel can be spread in a large gathering for sure but there's something really powerful about a one-on-one conversation I, I love it when you bring people who don't know Christ to one of our services I'm always aware that there's people in this room who've never heard the name of Jesus or have heard it but don't understand the gospel I'm always aware of that try and always work that in in some way so that you aren't disappointed if you bring somebody who's not a follower of Jesus but you know what at the end of the day you are our best witness to the people that you do life with you are You, with a cup of coffee, sitting across the table from somebody who you know, saying, let me tell you the story about how Jesus changed my life. That's the most powerful witness that this church has. Bottom line, we need you to do that. We'll do our best to help empower you, to train you, to motivate you, to encourage you. We'll present the gospel in large group gatherings. But at the end of the day, you are the key. You are the key to reaching this city with the people in which you are in close proximity to. So please don't waste your career, don't waste your home, don't waste your neighborhood, don't waste your athletic events, don't waste your small group, don't waste your gym, don't your gym visit, don't waste your retirement. Realize that this next door mission is essentially about your individual calling to share the gospel. So my aim today has been to lay before you Both a vision and a challenge. To be able to ask you to think through, so what is our responsibility to neighbors who are right next door? Our vision is to be able to plant a campus beginning next year in Fisher's so that those of you who live in that area would be more inclined to talk to your neighbors. Hey, there's this thing that my church has got going. We're meeting over at this high school. I'd love to have you come with us instead of driving 35 minutes over here. But even more than that, the goal is to motivate all of us to pursue our next-door mission. And so with that, let me ask you to do four things. First, If you are not a part of the College Park Church family, we need you to be part of this church family. Some of you today need to take the step of membership. You've been coming here for a long time, and for whatever reason, you've just not decided to become a member. I want to challenge you and push you to say, you need to say, these are my people, and I'm going to go where they're going to go, and I want to be held accountable, so I'm going to join this church. I'm going to officially take that important step. Others of you, you need to be involved in an area of ministry that you're you're not involved in at present. You just come and you listen, and that's great, but you're not serving, you're not giving, and you're missing a huge component of what it means to be a part of the body of Christ. Others of you, you need to start contributing financially. Every week you come and you you benefit from other people's contributions to your spiritual growth, and while we're willing to do that, frankly, you need to be a part of what it means to help provide that witness for other people. What I'm asking you to do today is just wherever you are to think about what is one step that you could take to move in your passion to follow Jesus. Secondly, if you live in the Fishers area, I'd love for you to start praying about being an early adopter in this new campus and in our next door mission Now, there are some of you who live in the Fishers area that for very good reasons, you're you're not going to do that. Instead, you're going to come here to 96th in town and just know we're going to be glad that you're here. It's not like you just moved into the B team, okay? But I am praying for about 200 of you in that area who would enter into this new exciting journey, who would be part of that incubator group and would help us launch in August of next year this new campus to try and reach that section of the city and to do an effective job of reaching our neighbors. Third, if you give regularly to this church, thank you, and I'm asking you to continue to do so. Because... I'm dreaming not only of paying off our debt, but also of being able to take that amount of money that we use for our indebtedness and be able to use that to start new campuses. 2015, we have an 8% proposed budget over where we believe we're going to end at the end of the year. And without your financial support, we won't be able to do it. The reality is one of the best ways that we say, yes, I'm on board, is in how we give. And I want to encourage you that we make good use of your money. And this is a year coming up that we need all to be involved because of the importance of what's happening with College Park next door. And finally, I want to make this very personal. Somewhere when you came in, either on a bulletin or in the um, sermon application guide, there's a sticky note, yellow sticky note like this. I want you to find that. So grab your bulletin. I want you to find this sticky note. When I was a kid, I went to a church one time, and as I was exiting the church facility, there was a sign above the door, and it said this, You are now entering the mission field. It's kind of cheesy, but I liked it. And today what I want this sticky note to be is your mission field. What I want you to do as we close the service is to write down the name of someone with whom you are in close proximity or someone who you would pray, God, this person represents the door that I'm asking for you to help me to walk through. This is the name of somebody with whom I have regular contact or irregular contact who I don't believe is a follower of yours, and I'm asking for you to open a door. For some of you, the challenge of this morning is it may be a next door neighbor whose name you don't know. So maybe you want to write down either their address or my neighbor next door, but whoever it is that you'd write down either the name or what is it that God's inviting you to do. And as you leave this morning, after we spend time praying over this name, I want you to stick this sticky note on the door of this sanctuary as you leave. That As we leave, we're in effect saying, God, here is my prayer. As I walk out this door, I want you to open this door. And I want you to join us in praying this prayer. God, please, would you open a door for the word next door? And so as we close today, I just want to give you a few moments to write down that name. A time of quiet, silent reflection. And then when you hear the music play, you can be dismissed. Take that sticky note. And put it on the door as you exit the sanctuary. As your statement, God, would you open a door? Please open a door for the word next door.